4: It's the NFL Report Week 4 edition. I'm Steve White, here with my guy James Palmer. And after that game, Sunday night, JP, I think I am more Swiffer than Swift T. Um, not really sold on all of the shots of Taylor Swift, but what a great game we did see Sunday night between the Jets and the Chiefs, Kansas City eked out for the dub.
5: Big time, Steve. I, it's so interesting, right? We're just seeing shot after shot of Taylor Swift walking through a security line at MetLife and everything, every Twitter account, Taylor Swift's at the game. And standing right behind her is like Blake Lively, yeah. Hugh Jackman, Brian <laughs> Reynolds. No mention of these megastars by any stretch of the imagination as they walk into MetLife. It is just Taylor Swift or bus because she is directly connected to those Kansas City Chiefs. And we'll get into it a little bit later with Jeff Chidia as we break down this Chiefs team where we've talked before with him about how good this defense has been. Maybe one of the best we've seen in Mahomes' time in Kansas City. But we're also seeing them work through some of these growing pains with all these young pieces around Patrick Mahomes. During training camp, I kept hearing, Steve, it was like, Sky is going to take a jump, and MVS is year two of the system is going to take a jump, and all of these – it just hasn't happened or clicked entirely as an offensive unit just yet, and you also have two new tackles as part of this as well.
4: Yeah, that, that's clearly – one of those tackles has been an issue as we saw some more penalties Oof. get called on him last night on the right side. But, James, again, I think defenses are playing the Chiefs differently. This was like a like last year when they had to adjust to a couple things, how defenses are playing them differently – and here's something I thought about last night with the way—I mean, the Jets just really gave them a lot of trouble on both sides of the ball. As we saw, Zach Wilson, their quarterback, play well. For as much as we want to malign Nate Hackett, the Jets' offensive coordinator for the job he did as head coach with the Broncos, he did have to game plan against the Chiefs twice last season. So he mm-hmm. may have had something in his pocket in understanding the Chiefs' personnel, some of their principles and what they like to do when he went into game plan. Maybe that's why Zach Wilson played fairly well. I thought he played really well. I mean, maybe Aaron Rodgers being there yeah. made him feel a little better. I mean, who knows, but I thought he played really well. But the fact that Kansas City, James, seems to have an answer for everything, like Isaiah Pacheco, you know, and Patrick Mahomes running when he has to, mm-hmm. they're just so tough to beat when their defense, as you mentioned, is playing this well.
5: Certain teams know how to win, Steve. We're going to get into that when we talk yeah. about Philadelphia, talk about the Niners, some other teams in the NFC. We're going to break those down. Sherry Burris was at that Eagles Commanders game. We're going to talk to her. She'll be on the show. Cameron Wolf's going to talk about that big showdown that happened in Orchard Park between the Bills and the Dolphins. But let's start off with America's team. I hate to use that term, but I just did. You the did. Dallas Cowboys, Steve. Oh, they get a bounce back win over Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. The worst defeat of Bill Belichick's tenure with the New England Patriots losing 38-3. Your initial thoughts on this one? Because what we have seen, one of the identities of the Cowboys are when they have a bad loss, and they've had a couple of them under Mike McCarthy, they do bounce back and play really well and put a lot of points on the board in the next week.
4: Yeah, we saw week three they had the tough loss against Arizona. No one really saw that coming. But here's the ultimate tale of what Dallas thought about what they did to the Patriots. I reached out to somebody with the Cowboys uh, Monday morning. I was like, man, okay. that was just a virtuoso defensive performance. The text I got back, big game coming up this week. They're already on mm-hmm. to the 49ers. Their attitude was almost like that shellacking of the Patriots was almost a throwaway game. Like, okay, we yeah. came out there, we buzzed through them. Now let's move on to the 49ers. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But just think about this. They made Mac Jones look absolutely terrible. And I know all of New England is like, oh, get rid of Mac Jones, get rid of this guy. The Cowboys are going to do that to teams. Their defense is that good. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to make you fire your head coach because they are going to stifle your offense. But, JP, they got two more defensive touchdowns. They have four defensive touchdowns on the year, another in the return game, five non-offensive touchdowns. This reminds me of two years ago when their defense had eight defensive touchdowns and they had a couple touchdowns in the return game. If they continue to play this well on that side of the ball, oh, that game against the 49ers, which they are so focused in on, is going to be something special.
5: They are beyond focused in it. They didn't just start really, I would think, honestly, after halftime, Steve, of that game on Sunday against the Patriots, I-, I got a text from one of the coaches this morning that said, in Dallas, it said, we've had this game circled since the end of last season. I mean, that that's the way they felt. Remember, the 49ers ended their season last year and the year before, and I- this has happened. I don't know if people at home know this, but if you're in a game You're, like, on the Dallas Cowboys sideline, and you're going through a blowout of a team like they did with the New England Patriots, and you have an opponent coming up the next week like they have circled with the San Francisco 49ers. The mindset, Steve, switches in game for some players, doesn't it? Guys like Micah Parsons already turned the key before they even hit the locker room as we're on to the 49ers. The entire post-game press conference or anybody speaking in the locker room was talking about San Francisco, not talking about the New England Patriots. How about That's that? where this team's mindset is right now. That's wild. Micah Parsons calling it a playoff game. Jerry Jones saying post-game that if we go up and compete and beat the 49ers, that will show everyone that we should be in the conversation for a Super Bowl this year. That's how big these guys are talking this game is. What I am concerned about before we move on, The red zone still is a problem for the Dallas Cowboys. Four trips in there, one touchdown. It was about a three-yard run, I believe it is. It's not like the 49ers are incredible so far this season in the red zone, but if you get down there against San Francisco, you have to be able to convert in the red zone.
4: You you have to be able to score touchdowns. And just real quick as you move on, J.P., with the Cowboys treating the Patriots like an afterthought, We are going to discuss a little bit later on on if they actually are an afterthought based on how they have come out of the gate. All right, JP, let's move on because we saw the Pittsburgh Steelers go down to Houston and get slapped around. I mean, no one saw that coming the way it happened, especially head coach Mike Tomlin. Here's what Tomlin had to say post-game about what's coming next.
6: Hell yeah, we got to make some changes, man. Uh, that was that was that was an ugly product we put out there today, and so uh, we're not going to do the same things and and hope for a different outcome. What those changes are, man, we'll put together a plan uh, in preparation this week. Hmm.
4: <laughs> JP, when's the last time you've ever heard Mike Tomlin make a public declaration like that about we are going to be making changes? Look, we we know JP. The quarterback's going to change. Kenny Pickett sustained a knee injury. He's probably going to be out for a little while based on some of the reports we've heard from our insiders here in Rappaport and Tom Pellicero. This doesn't sound like it is an injury-induced type of change that Mike Tomlin is talking about.
5: Yeah, he's only done this... A very few times in his career, Steve, and he has been extremely successful during his entire tenure in San Francisco. How many losing? I mean, his entire uh, tenure with Pittsburgh. How many losing seasons has he had? That would I'm be Otis. That'd be zero again. That'd be uh, zero that he's <laughs> had. Now they remember last year. They made some changes midseason. Nobody really knew what they were after their bye week, and that kind of helped them catapult themselves into the postseason. The second half of the year, they said they made some subtle tweaks, subtle changes. It wasn't a declaration like we saw from Mike Tomlin right there. And everybody's calling for Matt Canada's head, um, the offensive coordinator. You they would are. think if something was to change, that would have happened this offseason, right? And that would have been another offensive coordinator for your young quarterback and Kenny Pickett. That would have also went against what we've seen in the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the way they operate. You don't usually change coordinators, let's be honest, within a season. I, I'm, I'm curious what they want to change. The two things that I think are the biggest issues are a defense that hasn't been able to stop the run against the Houston Texans. Ooh. I believe they ran the football. Let's look at this. 38 times or 139 yards. That team had struggled to run the football yep. through their first three weeks. And their inability to stick with the run within their offense. That's that was by the some big by players part. in the locker room post game. They came out of the – remember they came out of halftime and they ran the ball down. The throat of the Houston Texans, Najee Harrison company, and then what happens? They get away from it again. And even guys in the locker room were saying, we're not staying consistent with the run game. With Kenny Pickett and operating in the play action, I feel like, Steve, you have to stick with the run game if you are the Pittsburgh Steelers and have a consistency and rhythm with your run game if you want this offense to click. To me, that is essentially coaching on a calling these plays in those instances. What's your take on what you think could possibly change?
4: It might not be the play caller, but it may be a directive to the play caller to run yeah. the damn ball. Stop putting pressure on our quarterback who we really don't know what he's made of, whether it's Mitch Trubisky the next couple of weeks or Kenny Pickett when he comes back and run the football. Stick with it like you said when it is working. This has been the Steelers brand for decades. The Rooney's will tell you. Cold weather, run the football. Mm-hmm. Stop the run. That's why we're always there. But Mike Tomlin, when he came out and said, we're not going to continue to do things the same way and hoping that they work, that means we're going to change. He's hot. Like we said, he does not make public declarations like this ever unless something is very serious. And J.P., you and I both know last year, you talked about some of those subtle changes. Very similar things happened with the uh, directive, let's say, on what they needed to do offensively.
5: What I remember, Steve, this is my last point on it, 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 that it's gone on with the offensive side of the ball. There were some comments coming out of the locker room after the win over the Raiders saying that in our first two weeks when we had to put up a game plan to stop Nick Bosa and to stop Miles Garrett, we kind of lost a large chunk of our offense because we were so focused on stopping those pass rushers. There were things we weren't even going to do as an offense. They kind of scrapped that in a sense when they were going against Max Crosby. To me, that's an interesting comment coming from guys on your offensive line saying there's things that we just eliminated, large chunks of our playbook that were gone because we're trying to accommodate ways to stop these pass rushers. That's a lot you can't do offensively if that's your main focus. That has to do with how you're developing this scheme and this game plan. All right, let's move on to the other team we want to evaluate because this was kind of teams that we were talking about last Thursday yep. heading into the quarter mark. Find are they they for are. real? Another team that we were going after and looking at was the Baltimore Ravens. So far, we have seen the Ravens go on the road against the Bengals and win. Go on the road against the Browns in the division and win. They have a week five game on the road against the team we just mentioned, the Steelers. They could be 3-0, Steve, on the road in divisional games by week five, and that could be a tremendous advantage after they beat the Browns this past Sunday in the AFC North.
4: Yeah, think about that. I mean, they beat all those teams on the road. They're gonna get them back in Baltimore later on in the season. To be able to start your season like that while your offense is still developing, Mm -hmm. right? This is hardly a finished product. We know they've got a lot of injuries. I mean, Ronnie Stanley still didn't play the starting left tackle. Odell Beckham, he's still hurt. We still don't know the full functionality of this offense, which is why they kind of went back to what they did, which was Mark Andrews, from Lamar Jackson, look at this ball. All those folks who are watching, I mean, just beautiful passes. Lamar only threw the ball 19 times, but he ran the mm-hmm. ball well. We saw some different techniques and some of the things that they did with the passing game to Andrews in the run game with Lamar. But the fact that this offense can explode like that against this defense. Now, again, Cleveland gave them three, three interceptions and I think another turnover right there to shorten some fields. But the fact that they could hang 28-3 on a Browns defense that was absolutely dominant, I mean, it's kind of frightening seeing what the potential what this offense can be while they're still working out a lot of the kinks, JP.
5: We were talking at the top of the show, right, about teams that know how to win. Yep. I think a Harbaugh teams know how to win a lot of times in situations, and I think you're right. We do have to look at this situation with a bit of a caveat going I myself even reported, everybody, including Deshaun Watson, that Browns were confident that the pregame workout was going to go well and he was going to play in that game. That is a late scratch for Deshaun Watson, which really put the Browns in a hole. But a banged-up offensive line, as you mentioned the injuries a little bit, to be able to hold tough against this Browns defensive front, I think shows a lot of toughness. And like we mentioned, to get out to this start, dealing with the injuries that they've been dealing with, going to start getting guys back in the next few weeks on both sides of the ball. This could be a fantastic advantage for the Baltimore Ravens if they win that game in Pittsburgh after week five. Coming up with more on the NFL report, we're going to have boots on the ground. Sherry Burris was at that thriller in overtime between the Eagles and the Commanders, as well as Cameron Wolf right after this talking about the game of the week we thought it was going to be between the Bills and the Dolphins. Hmm, Bills showed us they are still contenders. Coming up more on the NFL report.
4: Cook in the backfield, Allen back to pass, going to roll to his right, steps up, throws to Diggs for the touchdown! 11-yard touchdown reception!
0: Cook the lone setback, play-action pass, As time, throws to the left sideline, complete to Diggs, but there's a flag, trying to spin away from the tacklers, and he does! 35-30, 25-20, headed to the end zone! Touchdown, Stephon! Diggs! 55 yards to Painter! Holy moly! Diggs by himself on the left side. Here's the snap. Picks the handoff to Murray. Throws in the end zone. It's a trifecta for
3: Stefan Diggs! A 13 yard touchdown reception!
6: Can you dig it?
5: Can you? Stefan Diggs it. We are now welcomed on the NFL report by Cameron Wolf. Cam, I, I, Steve, I, I, we were talking before we had Cam on off-camera. You called it, Cam. You called it. Yeah. The big boss of the AFC yeah. East is still the Buffalo Bills, forty-eight to twenty. Ooh, they right. hold that high-powered Dolphins offense that dropped seventy on the Broncos a week ago down to 20 points, which I think everybody would say is a phenomenal effort, (laughs) knowing that offense, just giving up 20, it's like giving up three to most other offenses. Cam, what did you see? What did you predict? Give yourself a pat on the back.
3: Yeah, James, I'm a big fan of The Wire, and there's a saying from The Wire: "Come at the king, that's not missed, right?" That's not missed. Let them know. The the Bills have long been the kings of this AFC East, and the the Dolphins have been the hot team. They scored 70 points. Everybody's crowning them, and I think the Dolphins are are well on their way to being a playoff team. But this was a check mark, and we talked about this on this platform Thursday. Uh, This was a checkpoint to see, were they ready to overtake the bills? And we saw Sunday they were not. The bills had a statement to make of their own. And it was very interesting seeing the game plan the Bills had for Tua and the Dolphins offense. We saw all the motion they did, all the speed, the 70 points. The Bills went back with a good old-fashioned physicality, punch you in your mouth. They beat them in the trenches. They had four sacks on Tua, nine quarterback hits. Tua came in with one sack over three games. And so the whole thing about the Dolphins offense is we're going to get the ball out quickly. You got to give credit to Sean McDermott. They messed up their timing. Matt Milano Mm -hmm. and Bernard had a really good game in the middle. They, they did not take the bait on the motion with Tyreek Hill over the middle of the field. And, and they really showed the Dolphins that they had the personnel to be able to cover their receivers, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, And so they're going to have another chance. The Dolphins will at the end of the season. But I thought it was very interesting after the game to us that this was a humbling performance and it was something they needed. And the Bills are doing this motion on their face that all day because that's what the Dolphins had coming off their team playing. And so uh, the Bills feel like they got the uh the upper hand, and they're still the kings of the AFCs. I love
4: the wire reference. One of my favorite references, one of my favorite memes that uh, I I like to use (laughs) on social media, but I also like the fact you point out the physicality because the one thing about all of the schemes from this coaching tree, other than Kyle Shanahan, whether it's the Bengals, the Rams, some of those teams, teams know if you hit them in the mouth enough times they these, these finesse teams, so to speak, might not yep. be able to hang. But you also talked about the strategy. What yep. about what Buffalo did to have such a great connection with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs? I mean, mm. three TDs for Diggs.
3: Yeah, Steve, that was probably one of the best games I've seen of Josh Allen of his career, and the, what you mentioned with Stephon Diggs is so interesting, because coming into the game, Dolphins defensive coordinator Vic Fangio said they had a scheme, and their scheme was not going to follow Stephon Diggs with their top corner, Xavier Howard. And then Ken Dorsey, the Bills offensive coordinator, drew up an excellent plan. They made sure every chance they could, they were going to get Stephon Diggs on Cater Kohu, a Dolphins' second-year corner who's usually in the slot. He had to play outside corner because Jalen Rams is injured, and Diggs as we see on these highlights, was abusing him all day. Six catches, 120 yards. Three touchdowns. They moved J- Stefan Diggs in motion, like the Dolphins do in their motion to make sure they get those one-on-one coverages against them. And Diggs exploited them. I think a lot of times we forget how good the Josh Allen Diggs combo is because of sometimes there's some drama. Steph can get a little bit emotional at times, but when they're on, like they were on Sunday, they are one of the best duos in, in football. And they really exploited Vic Bangio's D. They did not adjust, they did not put extra help on Diggs, they did not put Xavier Howard on Diggs and that was a big mistake and Josh Allen really exploited them. One other thing that I thought was very interesting, they established the front on their offensive line as well. They slowed down the defensive front of the Dolphins and they did not get home to Josh Allen. And they also were able to get that play action game off. Josh Allen killed them in the play action because they had to stay honest with the run game. And so the Bills, once again, are are the big boss of the AFC East and they proved it really dominating and bullying them on both sides of the ball.
4: Super quickly, Cam is that a blueprint yeah. what
3: what the bills did to isolate uh, you know digs Uh, If you have the digs, if you have a digs, yes. I mean, not a lot of teams have a digs, but hopefully Vic Fangio adjusts. That's the thing that, you know, he's a very good defensive coordinator, but he's also a guy who's won his way. And so a lot of times those guys, they do their style, do their scheme. When they came into the season, they thought Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard are going to be on the left side and the right side. You don't have to move either of those guys, but no Jalen Ramsey. You have to adjust. I hope that he adjusts going forward for that.
5: Guys, just raise your hand if you're just kind of happy this outcome happened because I believe in this offseason and through training camp, the entire world just kind of either wrote off, forgot, moved on from the Buffalo Bills for whatever yep. reason, and Josh Allen put himself back in that MVP conversation. I love, Cam, that we've seen him actually using his legs less, taking fewer yes. hits, which he's wanted to do the last couple of years, and actually is able to do it so far this season. And outside of that Jets debacle, the offense hasn't missed a beat, right? They've still been very effective as an offense, <laughs> very effective on Sunday, even with him not taking as many hits. Ken, appreciate it, buddy. And, and that D-line we'll is taking over, and Bob Miller should be coming show. back soon, oh, big
3: time. Yep. yep. Vaughn Miller right around
5: the corner. Let's go. This is what he wanted to do down the stretch. Appreciate it, Cam. Good seeing you, buddy. Well, listen to this, Steve. We have our second international matchup this week, and it can be watched exclusively on NFL+. Plus. It's the Bills. It's the Jags at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London. A fabulous venue, October 8th, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. So if you want to watch that game, sign up today at plus.nfl.com. All right, now we are welcomed in by sherry burris who sherry was at commanders eagles overtime sherry take us to the sideline the eagles (laughs) sideline and jalen hurts because i'm fascinated you spend a lot of time being a sideline reporter at all these different college and pro games like what did you observe from jalen hurts on the sideline?
7: Well, it was so interesting. You know, we were able to go down on the field with two minutes left in regulation. I kind of was watching the commander side, but then realizing that they'd have the ball last, I literally sprinted through the end zone. So the Eagles fans, if they're watching, they'll know what I was doing to get to the other side and the tension on that Eagles sideline as Washington was driving, you could just feel it like there was a belief that the Eagles were going to hang on, but there was that sliver of like maybe Washington will tie the game. So as we're getting set for overtime, I was just tracking Jalen Hurts. He was pacing, had a towel over his head, but his facial expression, his emotions, really, they weren't really even there. I mean, he was very even Steven, even keel. If I was just watching him, guys, I wouldn't know if this was the first quarter, the fourth quarter, overtime. Mm. He was just very steady the entire time until the offense went back out there. So,
4: so Sherry, you know, we saw you. They go out there, they they drive, they get the field goal, eventually win it in overtime, and the Eagles are are, are 4-0. And it's so weird because all you're hearing about the Eagles is they still don't look right. Mm -hmm. You said to me earlier when we were prepping for the show, it feels like a weird 4-0. 4-0 is 4-0 to me in the NFL, but (laughs) why does it still seem like these aren't the Eagles, you know, that we know of last year?
7: I wonder, Steve, if it's because we are so used to the Eagles being the juggernaut and blowing teams out and there being no question if the Eagles are going to win a game. They were trailing in this one. This was the first game Washington had a lead going into the half, if you could believe it. So the fact that the Eagles are having to come from behind, it was this week Nick Sirianni saying they've won each game this season a different way, and that's showing the character. It's building trust and resilience throughout this team. And if you talk to a bunch of different guys, they'll just tell you they're all still works in progress, which is a little frightening. I would have to imagine the fact that they are one of two teams right now that are 4-0. They are the defending NFC champions, and they still feel like they have progress, like they need to get better. We aren't seeing the impressive stats from Jalen this year. He didn't have any turnovers against Washington, but three interceptions in the first three games which is not usual Jalen he is still one of the top rushing QBs but there are so many questions about the run game and his arm and you know has he taken a step back but you're right 4-0 is 4-0 but I think also, you know, some of these teams that we expect to do really well, they almost like being sort of off the radar, not maybe an on-the-radar team. So something I'd love to be able to ask uh, the Eagles if they're okay with this, not being, you know, picked to win the Super Bowl right this second. But it is interesting that it's, it's a quiet 4-0, if that makes sense.
5: I love, Sherry, that you bring up the character of the Philadelphia Eagles, and this is what stands out to me most about this win. That phenomenal deep ball that that Jalen Hurts connects with A.J. Brown on, he gets flagged for the taunting penalty in the end zone. And that drive that ended with zeros on the clock to send the game into overtime was only 64 yards because of that A.J. Brown penalty. What fascinates me and makes me realize some teams just know how to win is the conversation that A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts had immediately after that touchdown. It wasn't celebrating we took the lead in the closing minutes of the game. It was, Mm -hmm. you can't have a penalty like that, A.J. That's best friend to best friend telling you, you can't put us in that spot. That's Jalen Hurts, one of the leaders of this team. This team doesn't show up in the box score about how you manage your entire sideline and manage your roster. You find a way to make sure those mistakes don't happen. They got away with it in this one? And A.J. Brown was accountable after the game about the position he put his team in. But I just think when you have that type of leadership, Steve, on the sideline in-game and the wherewithal to bring that up in-game, to know the importance of it, him and Kelsey, Hertz and Kelsey halftime, also made a big part, I'm told, in how this game proceeded in the second half because of the penalties and issues in the first half. We mentioned it, Sherry, at the top of the show. I hope you were watching or listening. Some teams just know how to find ways to win, and the Eagles did it in a variety of ways in this one.
4: All right, great point, J.P. Sherry, thank you so much. Really, really good stuff. Now go hug up that cute little daughter of yeah. yours. <laughs> you know, what team, when you talk about leadership issues and knows how to win, it's another 4-0 team, and I'm talking about the San Francisco 49ers. Right now, J.P., the, the 49ers. I mean, we're looking at their, them against the Arizona mm-hmm. Cardinals. Christian McCaffrey going, Skeets, Nehemiah. Whoop. Former world champion hurdler who also played for the 49ers hurling someone into the end zone on a swing pass. Here he is on a short run. This is one of his, they had. He had four rushing touchdowns. This was just offensive wizardry. I mean, they they, they didn't do anything extra dynamic other than just great performances. But JP, we, we heard last week we had safety Tano Hufanga on the show. They wanted to mm-hmm. get out of the gate quickly. They want to be in midseason form week one because. They didn't want any early season losses to come back and bite them down the road for playoff seating, things like that. They want the playoffs to come through Levi Stadium there in Santa Clara. When you look at the 49ers, let's say juxtaposed to the Eagles, who are still working on things, and the Chiefs who are still working through some things, and maybe in a team like the Bills. I mean, what are you seeing out of, the, out of this team that just seems so good in every facet of
5: the game? What I'm seeing is a quarterback that doesn't make mistakes. He went 20 of 21. Yeah, you heard me right. Yeah, 20 20, of 21 on the game. A quarterback that gets this entire offense going and a creative offensive mind that has every weapon you could imagine to go out there and beat you with, Steve. And I think that's what stands out to me the most. Christian McCaffrey was the one. I mean, Christian McCaffrey played so well in this game, he put himself in the MVP conversation. He had 16 first downs by himself. That's crazy. Nine that's rushing, crazy. seven receiving. That's crazy to think of that and to think of that compounded with the fact that George Kittle had one target, one catch. Debo Samuel had zero targets in this game. Now I don't think that's going to be the case against the Cowboys next Sunday, but when you have the ability to be this dominant and have dominant players like the two I just mentioned. Not even really be included in terms of how you were attacking a team. Doesn't mean they weren't included in this offense. We know what they do in other aspects of this offense with their physicality as well. But you have the ability to lean on different players in different instances and in different games. I think we need to be talking about And I remember doing this game against the Chiefs last year. It was Christian McCaffrey's first game, his arrival with the San Francisco 49ers. Is there a better player in your mind, Steve, for a better system fit than Christian Ooh. McCaffrey... With Kyle Shanahan. You know what? I'll, I'll say this. For the running
4: back position, okay. maybe. However, and this is where I think Christian, Christian McCaffrey's value is has been totally understated. I think he's opened mm-hmm. things up for Kyle Shanahan. I've yes. got a running back who's got track speed, who 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 runs physically tougher. He runs physically tougher in San Francisco than he did in that's Carolina. That's a great point. And, and, and that's a mandate. When you play for Kyle Shanahan and to me again their Hall of Fame running back coach Bobby Turner, if you play that position, you better finish runs that snap people's head back when you're hitting them in the chest or something like that. So the physicality he has, the receiving aspect that he has, he could throw it too. No. Right? We see him throw a touchdown. So I think he's <laughs> yeah. he's I think he has expanded the offense to a point where Kittle was probably thrilled to death. To be blocking for him downfield. We saw one of those touchdowns, Debo cleaning up a DB oh, so yeah. McCaffrey can get into the end. I think they love that because he is such a threat. And the fact that we can be talking about a running back in an offseason that we've had with conversation about running backs as a potential MVP, I'm all
5: about it. All about it, that's Right, That's a great point. That's great. Trent Williams was saying this after the game, saying, I knew he was a good back. I knew he was versatile. I didn't know he could pound the football between the tackles and be as physical as an I-formation type of back if you wanted him to be. And the other point I'll make is, since Brock Purdy became the quarterback, Brandon Ayuk, Steve, oh yeah, has catapulted onto the scene. Another monster game for the wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. All right, that's wrapping up a couple of teams that are undefeated. What uh, a lot of roses and a lot of smiles in San Francisco and Philadelphia. How about when we come back, Steve, the teams that are on the other side of the spectrum. If you have a friend that's a Bears fan, give him a hug today. Just show him some love. Again? Because we're going to break down the absolute mess that's going on in Chicago as well as Cincinnati. We're going to be joined by Jeff Chidiya coming up on
6: the NFL Report.
4: Back at the NFL Report, and it's time for our regular Monday first read segment. And for that, we bring in Jeff Chedia, whose column, first read, is on NFL.com slash first read. How about that? Three first read references in about the first 10 seconds of the wow. box, Jeff Chedia.
6: Oh, so Jeff, it's good to hear it.
4: Yeah, I, I know Love you are. Part. Hey man, it make it happen. Mentions. And it's really good. You got so much good stuff in there. Um, you know, but we, we have to hit the negative. It's just that time because <sighs> We see the Cincinnati Bengals, right? A team that I think most of us still believe in uh, just because of all the talent they have, but right I mean, they got smoked by the Titans this week. This is a team, you know, that's gotten well, teams have gotten well against in the Tennessee Titans. What is actually going on in Cincinnati? I mean, is it just Joe Burrow's calf? Is it the way defenses are playing their offense differently? Because they are not functioning right now.
6: Well, it's, it's a little bit of both. And you look at last year when they started 0-2. The problem they had then was that Joe Burrow was trying too hard to make plays down the field. They want they, 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 You mentioned the talent. They wanted to make those big plays, and they had to start taking what teams were giving them. I think Joe Burrow's calf is, is a real problem for them. You saw it two weeks ago against the Rams and how, he, how limited he was. He looked better this week, but again, they really can't do a lot under center with him. They really can't push the ball down the field play action is such a huge part of their offense as far as creating those big plays and that's not available to them with him dealing with this calf strain. So It's a lot going on for them and Tennessee always seems to have games like this early in the year where they they got the Chiefs one year a few years ago. They got the Rams when they were riding high in their Super Bowl year. They will get teams if they're not ready to play football but I do believe the Bengals have enough talent and enough pedigree to overcome this and get back into the playoff race.
5: I do think, Jeff, we are in a bit of an interesting spot. I was with the the Bengals early in the season. It was, what, week one, it was, ah, the weather. Week two, it was, wow, Joe Burrow wasn't there throughout the entire entire preseason training camp. We've been here before, 0-2. We're going to be fine. Look at us. Week three, it was against the Rams. Well, at least the second half, the offense started to get a little bit better. We're back on track. And now it was like this time after this game, though, Steve, it was a little bit... The frustration was boiling over. It was a little bit of we're going to be okay early on, and now it looks like with guys like Jamar Chase and company are are a little bit frustrated. What stands out to me is teams are blitzing Joe Burrow at a higher rate, vastly higher rate than they did a year ago, obviously because he can't move. He is a much better athlete than probably a lot of people give him credit for in terms of the ability to throw in the run, the ability to escape pressure. He has been pressured, like – 35% of his dropbacks, and he has the second lowest time to throw the football. There's been some changes on that offensive line, and maybe that's another addition of this, Steve, that is playing, you know, rearing its head in a sense to where he hasn't had a whole lot of time, and he can't move.
4: Jeff, speaking of time, what's the deal? They have not scored an offensive touchdown in the first half
5: all season long. That's a
4: staggering, that is a staggering stat to me.
6: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and really, you know, it's... I think James Bates is a good point. You know, even though most of the corp is still there, I, I think, you, especially on defense, because Tennessee is not an explosive yep. offensive no. safety. I think they miss Von Bell. I think they miss Jesse Bates. I think they're more athletic mm-hmm. God, on the points. back end. But, but you're not seeing them take control of games. And, and I say this, you know, again, living in Kansas City, I see it with the Chiefs. They're going through their own offensive struggles right now, but the defense is stepping up. Uh, you see them with the Jets. Zach Wilson's not getting done. Last night, last they step up with the defense. They got to get some plays from somebody else. It can't just be, wait until Joe gets better, and you know, everything will start going in the right direction. It's a team game. They got good players. Other guys have to start doing more.
5: All right, Jeff. All right, Jeff. You've been covering this league for a long time. Steve, you've been covering this league for a very long time. I want to ask both of you, with the Chicago Bears, Ooh. have you seen an organization in, let's not say a week's time, let's say an entire season, had their quarterback come out, talk about certain things in terms of coaching, his opinion about what's happening with the offense, then have to, in the locker room, speak again to clarify his statements. Then have a head coach Say things about Claypool, Chase Claypool, about how things were going to, how things went down, about him not being at the game on Sunday, and then then have to come out with a statement when the writers are up in the press box later in the day. How many times have you seen teams have to go back around and clarify communication errors within a season, in a whole season? And I think we've had three of them with the Bears in one week.
6: Well, I can tell you this, you know, my first year covering in the NFL was 1996 and I covered the Oakland Raiders and then my first year covering the team, John Fox was the defensive coordinator. He vanished in training camp. Anthony Smith was the starting defensive end. He vanished in week four when he lost his job and then by weeks, by season's end, Tim Brown was threatening to call the plays because he was so upset with the offense, so. That's my bar. That's, my, that's, my, that's what I consider dysfunction. But the Bears are getting close right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> What's been going on there? And it, it really is. I, look, I, I do start to fear for, for people's jobs at this stage because after the way Kansas City beat mm-hmm. them down and after blowing that 21-point you know, lead against the, the Denver Broncos, they're not in a good place. And when you're talking about Chase Claypool having to stay away from the facility, I don't know what he's doing or what he's saying, but that, to me, is a huge red flag about what's happening in that locker room and what, how people are feeling about Justin Fields as a quarterback. But but again, Steve, you know this, it's like when, when teams come in and you have a young quarterback you drafted high, so you feel the, the need to build the offense around it, but you have a defensive-minded head coach, and so you got to find a way to get that side of the football going, they've just been all over the place. And when that happens, at, least at the top of the food chain, it affects everything sooner or later once the adversity hits.
4: And, and and you know what? It's it's funny because yesterday, for most of that game, Justin Fields was playing the game of his life. He, he looked unbelievable. He looked fantastic, right? He's
5: the best player on the field. Yeah, their
4: defense, oh, three their defense looked like they actually had a clue and to know how to stop somebody. And then of course it was like, okay, how are we not going to lose this one? Too late, you blinked, you lose the ball game. But to get back to James's point, this is a bigger issue, what's going on with the Bears, because it's funny, you know, at the draft, everybody was ballyhooing their draft. Now we're saying these guys can't play. Now people are, are, you know, there's whispers, oh, maybe Ryan Poles got into this as a general manager a couple years too early. Matt Eberflus is not the guy. And when you start seeing things like these clarifications you have to make. Yeah, you know, Jeff and I, we've been covering this game for decades, and, and Jeff, by the way, my bar is the Bobby Petrino year uh, in Atlanta go. after the dogfighting scandal. <laughs> Petrino quits in the middle of the season. Yeah. We got all kind of chaos, we all kind of chaos, going yeah. on with that team. But again, not being in Chicago, I can feel the constant churning of guts from all the way out here in Los Angeles. Like it is not good. And like you said, this latest thing, Matt Evenfloos, the head coach, came out Monday saying Chase Claypool has been told not to be with the team uh, all week because we have a Thursday night game. They haven't suspended him. Right, so whatever Mm -hmm. is going on there is real peculiar. But, again, we're probably not going to find out the real story until they do another mea culpa or slash clarification based on the way things are going. I almost (laughs) feel bad for people now because they can't get their stories straight. You know who always gets a story straight, Jeff? Bill Belichick, right? He benches his quarterback during a shellacking. A 38 initial lacking by the Dallas Cowboys with the Patriots yesterday. He says, Mac Jones, was he benched? Well, I just felt it was best for him just not to be in there. It was almost like we don't want to get our guy killed because this isn't going well. Or we want to protect – I don't know. But, you know, we, we talked about the Bills early in the show, how good they're playing. We know the Dolphins are really good. And The Jets actually showed signs of life Sunday night. little life. The, the, the Patriots, Jeff. I mean, we've we've held on for years now since Brady, well, they're the Patriots, they'll be there. I don't think anyone can say that right now because they don't look like they have any playmakers or any real idea of how to work themselves out of a jam.
6: No, and they're really, you know, for so many years when Brady was there, there was the belief of we can just find certain guys, fit them into our scheme, coach them up, and we'll get great results. And they still operate that way, and Bill still operates that way. And, and the reality of it is, the teams that are winning consistently, year in and year out, right now have a lot of good players. <laughs> they have playmakers, and they have a really good defense. They've got players on that side of the football. But Mac Jones is not a quarterback who can get them over the top. They haven't given him great a great supporting cast to work with, and it shows up each week. You know, I, I watched that Dallas Patriots game. And it, it was watching it was it was painful because he was making decisions that. You can't do. You can do them if you're Josh Allen or if you're Patrick Mahomes. Right. You can roll to the right side of the field and throw the football back to the left and think you're going to make something happen. You can't do it if you're Mac Jones. And and, and I understand how, how Bill felt. And I have seen him do this before, where he's pulled players and put them back in. But that team right now is operating as if it's 19. Excuse me, if it's 2008, and it's not.
5: I look at the Caleb Williams article, Jeff, in GQ, saying, I don't want to go to the wrong organization. I don't want to go to the, really, Arizona Cardinals is what he's saying. Yeah. What was Mac Jones going through his mind when he was drafted and, and walking with his straight arms across the, uh, top, of the that, uh, top of the stage going to the commissioner? He was probably going, I'm going to the Patriots. This is phenomenal. Yeah. And what have they given him now? Three offensive coordinators in three years. Ooh, great And honestly, point. doing their opener, against the Philadelphia Eagles, talking to everybody up there that covers the team on a daily basis on a great, great embedded beat. They were like, I was told universally, I don't think they have a whole lot of talent. And, and that's been the problem from skill position players to anchors on that offensive line, and then your two most talented guys on the defensive side of the ball go down in that game on Sunday, and Matthew Judon and the talented rookie and Christian Gonzalez. That's a big blow to a defense that you're going to hang your hat on. It's been tough sledding. Mac Jones. Maybe you can go talk to Caleb Williams. Just say, hey, organizations can change very, very quickly. And you know one that did? The Houston Texans oh, very boy. quickly. We're going to keep yeah. around on the NFL report as we talk about C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans, what this young quarterback is doing in four games. Historic! OH, H, NFL Report.
3: All right,
4: we're back at the NFL Report. And as Leonardo DiCaprio said in Django, you have my attention. That would be you, Houston Texans. <laughs> Jeff Chedia, the Texans so at curious 2 where you're going with the Django two. quote. Hey, 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 there's a whole <laughs> lot of ways. <laughs> <lot of>, a <laughs> whole lot of things that are going to get me like, in trouble. What did he I gonna stayed, say? Was, no, 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 we're staying right there. C.J. Stroud, Jeff Chidea. what what do you got?
6: Oh, you know, I talked to a friend of mine, <clears throat> personnel director about him last week and just raved about him and just talked about just how clean he is mechanically and just seeing the same things you saw at Ohio State. Great processor of information, but really the, the point he made, which I think is appropriate, is that the, the Texans have done a great job of putting a good group around him. You see the depth of their offensive line. Mm-hmm. They've had makeshift offensive line after makeshift offensive line. He still goes out there and feels comfortable. Nice connection with Nico Collins. And James, you know, it's nobody believed in this team. But C.J. Stroud from your Ohio State University is proving to be the best quarterback in his class. He, he really is. And and I'm going
5: back to a couple of things that I was told during the draft process about him. And now it's a chance to see these four games, Jeff, and see them kind of come to light. Because you mentioned that makeshift offensive line. He wasn't sacked by the by the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's crazy. Steelers. That was crazy. Like, I couldn't believe that. How did that happen, right? And, and to me... I go back and look at some of the stuff that scouts were saying, and they said, you know, the motion's a little bit funky. He's kind of, I don't know, he's kind of a pusher of the ball. But I'm not saying that in a bad manner because the ball is out quick. His motion is short. He's decisive. He doesn't really hesitate. Steve, don't all those things kind of come together and culminate going, I don't have a whole lot of time back here. And I'm going to make a quick decision, and I'm not going to make a bad decision. That's the other part he's thrived in early on. But to make sure the ball's out of his hands quickly to some of these guys, it's not like he lit up the world against the Steelers. I, you know what I mean? I think he had like a 50% completion percentage, but going over 300 yards again yeah. – it's, he's not hurting his team by any stretch, but he gets rid of the ball quickly because he knows that this offensive line has been littered with injuries. He plays this game, I believe, without Laramie Tunsil again. Right. And, and so it's, it's been very impressive of what he's been able to do when you've got a guy like T.J. Watt bearing down at you. I mean, he,
4: he's been so good, and the fact that they're playing such complimentary football, it's almost like he's saying, I've got to do my share. I mean, the kicking game has, has been very good. The defense has played yeah, very, very well. Kicker. And I love, love what he said after the game because they said all the Steelers fans that were in the stadium, in NRG Stadium, he was like, oh, no, we're going to make it so people feel good about wearing the Texans brand gear around here. Mm. That stuff that happened in the past doesn't fly with me. That is music to the great football fans down in Houston, Texas, to say now we have a quarterback who is not only certain of himself, but he understands the importance of this game and the way he is playing it. You talked about getting the ball out quickly them, Jeff, designing an offense to fit around him, it is a really, really good setup, and when this offensive line comes back fully, I mean, I'm kind of wondering where, where this thing can go. I mean, we need to start talking about them as potential winners of this AFC South. The division we all already know is up for grabs, When you see Damian Pierce finally get it, be able to run the ball like he did yesterday, too, against yep. his defense guys. This is a dangerous football team because C.J. Stroud absolutely Looks like the leader. Jeff, once again, we want to thank you. NFL.com slash First Read. Jeff Chidea every Monday here on the First I Read, read segment. That's right. C.J. Stroud did not get sacked. But boy, did Aiden O'Connell, all because of one dude, Khalil <laughs> Mack, comes in with a half dozen of the dirty, dirty against the hated Raiders. We'll have more. we come back here on the NFL Report.
5: Welcome back to the NFL Report. As we close things up, James Palmer, Steve Weich with you. We want to recognize one player that stood out to each of us. Steve, fire away. Well, you know, I think Khalil Mack
4: heard us really propping up his teammate Tuli Peloto last week, (laughs) the edge rusher, uh, who was getting all of his sacks leading into this game because Khalil Mack comes up to play the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that drafted him but didn't want to pay him. He hits him with six sacks. I was at this game. Six. Six. Six sacks. He's one away from Derek Thomas's record. Not only that, ten tackles, five TFLs, four hurries, and two forced fumbles. After the game, Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels said, hey, we were chipping him, we were doubling him. Um, went back and looked at the tape. The answer to that was, no, you didn't. Not once. Maybe that wasn't in the intent, JP, <laughs> but Khalil Mack reminded everybody he is still a dude.
5: Six sacks. What do like, well, you got, JP? He had those six sacks with like 12 minutes to go it in was the fourth quarter. It was insane, like we got man. We tons of time here. It was insane. It was unbelievable. I'm, I, it, listen, he didn't get the W, but I was blown away by the comeback that Anthony Richardson led yeah. in the Colts' attempt to take the Rams down. Down 23 to nothing. And comes, back in, and, and comes back in this game and never gets the football in overtime, which was a bit of a shame because – your guy, Puka Nakua, and, yep. uh, and, and Sam uh, and, um, and Matthew Stafford take care of business in overtime. But, but what, seeing the calmness that Anthony Richardson had, Steve, seeing how after the game he said, you know, and Aaron Donald's a tremendous player. It took me a minute to figure out you know, how physical and how fast he is. To me, that's a player that's really having things click very quickly, right? He goes, oh, I understand a lot what Aaron Donald does. And then you see him, what, 38 yards, Aaron Donald draped all over him. He gets pierced down the sideline for a brilliant pass. Like, he was figuring things out, the physical ability he has. I heard Matthew Stafford raving about him to Albert Breer and his Monday morning quarterback saying, the sky's the limit. The guy's just incredible. Incredible, just like this show, Steve. Great to be with you again. See you Thursday, everyone, on the NFL Report.
2: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury,